This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Hello and welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where we're all about ideas, creativity, and innovation, and where we introduce you to top innovators who share with you their story. So today we're going to go we're going to look at innovation being applied to something that we've never covered on this show in the past. The show's been around for 11 years and this is a topic that we've never really had a chance to, or an opportunity to talk to talk about. So today's topic is innovating the brand. Now this is not, you know, getting creative and designing some new slick little logo. It's really thinking about the whole brand element from the standpoint of impact to the business but also telling the story and impressing upon the customer. Our guest today is Michael Mendenhall. Michael and I have been friends. Uh, we actually were cohorts in a previous company. Um, Michael is the CMO and Chief Communications Officer for Flectronics. He was the CMO for Fusion IO, which got acquired by SanDisk. Prior to that, he was the CMO at Hewlett Packard, where he and I worked together and even prior to that, he was CMO at the Walt Disney Company. So he, uh, as I jokingly refer to everybody who comes out of Disney, they come out of the, uh, uh, jokingly, the, the cult of the mouse. So, hey, Michael, it's been way too long since we've last chatted. How are you doing? Oh, first, Phil, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm, I'm doing excellent. Um, uh, this is just uh, an extraordinary company, um, and it's one that – I think many people don't know of, but touch probably daily in their lives, uh, most likely five times a day, you're touching something that this company has had a design and or manufacturing impact on. So for me, it was just a, an extraordinary opportunity to to come to the, the company Flex and actually begin to sort of tell the world uh, who this company is and the importance and the role it plays sort of in that IoT universe. Yeah, so I think a lot of our listeners don't do not come from kind of a tech or electronics industry. So, give the listeners a little bit of background on now. Here, correct me: is the company's official name now Flex, or is it still referred yes, to? It is. I still refer yes, to it is. as Flectronics. I cannot get yes. out of Flectronics. <laughs> yes, so it's Flex, and we'll talk about that relative to the branding yeah. piece. But you know, this was this this was a company that. Is uh, and when I say IoT, many of you I, I won't use an acronyms. It's the Internet of Things. Uh, I'll come back to this because we really think of it as the intelligence of things, and 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 I'll explain why and how that plays into sort of our brand and the strategy of the company. But but this is a company that's in 30 countries around the world, over 200,000 employees at 100 locations. It's a company that has it has really. Um, evolved over time to what was once just a contract manufacturer where someone would come in with prints and we would go ahead and build it uh, to a company now that goes sketch to scale. So now most people come in to us and say, we have this idea for this product or this service. Here's all the functionality around it. Here's the environments it will be in. Uh, here's how it, it needs to connect to the smart world or to the data center. Uh, and here's the information we want back. Uh, we'll actually sit alongside them uh, and co-innovate. And more and more customers are coming in uh, to co-innovate, and that's where we call Sketch to Scale because we'll take it all the way from the sketch to uh, global distribution, and, in fact, we'll do reverse logistics as well for them. And, th and that means we'll just take the stuff back and, and, and fix it. 
um, and send it back out. Um, and so, so we really go uh, all the way through a product's life cycle. And, and that's what we're seeing more and more of. So what we like to say is um, we design, innovate, build uh, smart products for a connected world. And that's what we do. Yeah, I think, you know, when you were given the little background um, when we first started the segment, you mentioned about the fact that most people don't know who Flux is, yet touches their products every day um, because of the, hist- the long history that Flux has had. And yeah. it is kind of that, 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 that the, the hidden secret, I guess, behind a lot of the consumer electronics we all touch today, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, correct. It could, be, it could be a smartphone you're touching, a tablet you're touching, uh, a, a laptop, a desktop. Uh, it, it could be um, uh, a missile guidance system for aerospace defense, uh, all the way to a smart coffee maker that's connected and, and reading is smart and knows exactly what kind of espresso to make for you. Um, so, you know, in this world of connected products, and we can talk a little bit about that, um, we sort of sit. So as you think of the Internet of Things, or we say the intelligence of things, we really believe we've moved from the information age to the age of intelligence. What that means is many products and services you have today are connected, uh, but they're really just about operability of the product. Uh, what you're going to see within the next five years is it's going to be more about the intelligence of the product. And so it's going to be not just operability, but it's going to be about optimization and predictability. When that starts to happen, your products that you see every day will move to products as a platform or an ecosystem, and they're going to be connected, whether they're connected in your home, connected around your car, or connected around your person. Uh, you're going to see a very connected, smart world. And we really sit then, we're the things of the, 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 the intelligence of things. And, and so for us, um, that's sort of strategically where we've positioned the company um, and, and where we think, you know, the 50 billion products you're going to see that are connected within the next five years is where we're, you're going to see us actually play. So when you talk about this whole sketch to scale, because I, I, have a, <laughs> I was a customer of when it was Fluxtronics years ago. Yeah. Um, and Flux actually had gone out and actually bought design firms to help take it all the way to beginning to end. What I'm assuming I'm going to jump in and make an assumption that the brand effort that you've been doing when you when you went from a Fluxtronics, which those of us in the consumer electronics world know very well, to Flex to try to put it in the minds of everything from entrepreneurs to to companies who need to get take an idea and make it real. Is that kind of the the, the effort yeah, here well, with so, the rebranding yeah. to Flex? Yeah. Well, so the re, rebranding from Flextronics to Flex was a strategic one. And, and that's because, you know, we're seeing sort of a tremendous disruption happening in every industry relative to technology. And so as you think of your company as a product or service company, what we know has changed for sure is that in your product development cycle, IT now is embedded in that process permanently, right? Now, as you do that, these products become smart and connected. So it's really no longer just about the electronics industry that's going to be smart and connected, it's going to be every industry, and I mean from insurance companies, medical companies, automotive companies, consumer companies. You will all be touched by this. And so for us, the idea of Flextronics suggesting that we're still a tronics or electronics company 
um, was just not representative of the company's strategy and or position. And so we really felt like it was time to drop the Tronic piece, call it Flex, because we have moved into all of these industries. We're in 12 industries. We do over a billion dollars, some multiple billions of dollars in each of those industries. Um, and so for us, uh, the, the old name was a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, because, I mean, it, for those of us who know it in its old name, we kind of have a, a mental model of, of what it is and how to work with it versus now. Um, I think, you know, when I hear flex, I also think of flexible, right, being able to take on yeah. whatever you need to take on to help take the, uh, uh, you know, go from idea to having something that's on the shelf. Yeah, that, uh, Phil, that's exactly right. And, and you know, in this sort of world that – we're seeing much shorter product life cycles, right? They're faster. We're seeing faster innovation. Innovation's happening at a speed that we've not seen in our lifetime, right? We're seeing increased regionalization, um, and it's just, and we're seeing more disruptive products. So you combine that with what's happening in the technical community, um, and, and people have to look for partners that are going to help them move quickly and agilely. So if you said to me the two words that are important to compete today in this intelligence age, it's going to be agility and velocity. And, and, and so what you're going to see is a shift in many companies that have sort of siloed their R&D to one where they're going to have to think about collective innovation, and that means they're going to have to find partners. Strategic partnerships are going to be critical to co the company's success as it relates to innovation. And I think uh, that's something we do. It's something we provide, um, and that's that idea that you know, flexible, flex. We're far more agile, uh, um, and we—that's how we work with customers and industries. Yeah, and I think that's going to be an important part. We're going to take a little break here. We need to pay a few bills here, so we're going to take the commercial break. But when we come back, Michael, I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about specifically the partnering and the co-innovation work because that's so critical. You know, for companies that want to come up with an idea but really don't know how to uh, to take that idea forward. So, if you're sure. looking to learn more about ideas, creativity, and innovation, text the word "innovate" to three three four four four. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com. Stay right there. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations. A show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, killer innovation. I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome back to our second segment with Michael Mendenhall. If you're just joining us, Michael is the Chief Marketing Officer for Flextronics. Previously, he was the CMO at HP, and before that, he was the CMO for the Walt Disney Company. So, Michael, let's pick up where we left off. What I'm really curious about, when you think about coming in, you came in from the outside post the, the Fusion IO um, acquisition. 
to join uh, Flex or at that time Flextronics and to kind of come in and do this innovating the brand. Did you run into some internal friction given that there's this long history to the name and the long history of the perspective coming in as an outsider? No, no. You know what? I will tell you, um, this, th- this company sort of practices what it preaches. And when I was talking about agility and, and the pivots and, and the speed at which the company moves, I think you're going to find we're probably the largest startup you will ever work with. Um, and what I mean by that is we are very agile and, and, and pivot and move quick. And, and, and we do that with discipline. And so, you know, when I came in, it was really interesting as an outsider because I knew I knew what you knew about the company, having previously worked at HP and then Fusion IO, and and so when I came in here and I began to understand what they've built over the last three years to four years, this capability of design engineering all the way through uh, to tax and trade and support uh, for just commerce. I mean, we enable commerce with with companies, but from idea all the way through. And and the fact that they have this incubator that actually works with all the venture capitalists uh, where we get exposure to all these startups, where we actually bring some of them in, uh, we, we invest in them, we incubate them here. I think we have over 20 right now that are being incubated here in San Jose. Um, we, we, we take investments in others. Uh, so we really get to see not only what's out there from sort of the bigger players in the component space and the technology space, but the new guys. And and so for us, I was like, wow. I mean, we, we go from startup to Fortune 10. Uh, we go from sketch to scale. Uh, no one's heard this story from what is a, probably a very important company here in, in Silicon Valley who is really enabling a lot of these big tech players in Silicon Valley and all around the world, but also consumer product players, automotive players, um, you know, transportation, airline, aerospace players. And you start to think about the industrial side, what we touch in, uh, you know, sort of the modernization of sort of the industrial set. And it was, to me, it was like, wow, I mean, this is a rich company with a lot to work with. Uh, what tends to happen with a company of this scale with this kind of scope is focus. Like, how do we distill this down into a soundbite? How do we distill this down into just something that will capture what we do? And that's where we came up with Sketch to Scale. You know, this is something that people can comprehend. Uh, the media can comprehend. Bloggers can comprehend um, what that means. Oh, I get what you do. Um, and so, so for me, this was really just about, one, saying – Strategically, where do we want to be relative to where we think the opportunity is and, 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 and sort of slightly adjust the strategy of the company uh, to go after that and then to reflect that in our communications, our marketing, our promotions, uh, as well as the brand. And, and so uh, that was really what we attempted to do. I will tell you the management of the company uh, knew exactly why they, they wanted to bring somebody in like me. Uh, Mike McNamara, our CEO, uh, was convinced this was the right time, the right moment, that they had built all of the assets and or acquired assets that put them in a position now to begin to transform a company um, and and make it really a modern 21st century company. Well, the one thing I noticed, Michael, though, is when is having you know you and I knowing each other for quite some time and following you when you went to. Uh, Fusion IO with Shane and then that acquisition. 
But from the time you joined Flex until the rebranding effort was announced, I have to tell you, that's got to be a new land speed record. So... <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you. Glad. I'm glad until you appreciate that. Uh, I did say to Mike McNamara uh, in my you know 30 years of working, uh, I don't think I've ever worked with this kind of speed. Um, and and really, what that means is you 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 have to build a team that knows you. Uh, I, I couldn't start from scratch. I had to bring some people into some key roles here in 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 marketing. Um, that would help me, you know, uh, move faster and and could take shorthand basically, um, and and, uh, and sort of understood my thinking and how I work. Uh, so I did have to do a little bit of that and mix it with some of the people here who were excellent and sort of combine that to give us the speed we needed to get this done. And um, you know, I'm I'm happy to say we worked incredibly hard. We we teamed up with the the finance department here uh, and our CFO Chris Collier, who who really became an extraordinary partner in allowing us to have the speed to get done what we had to get done. Um, and I think the company has seen that reflected in the over 40 percent uh, value that was created to the shareholders in the first six months. So okay, I gotta I gotta ask you the question. I don't think I've ever heard anybody refer to their CFO as a partner. Most people refer to either the general counsel or your CFO as the corporate antibody who's yeah, trying to stop no. you from making progress. <laughs> yeah, no, I will I I will tell you uh it, it, it is a very different environment. And like I said, it's really a team environment. And, and and really it isn't just saying, hey, we're a team. They actually work that way here. Um uh and that, that allows you it's it's it, you know, things aren't done by committee, uh, you know, things move incredibly fast. Um, you know, someone asked me, Phil, like, so I was at a, a conference and they said, So, you know, how often do you meet with your CEO and do you have like a standing breakfast? And I said, uh Wow, I said, if you have to do that, your your brand or your product is going to lose. Uh, I I talk to my CEO multiple times a day. The offices are very fluid, as you know, and very open in Silicon Valley. And I, I'm in my CFO or CEO's office multiple times a day. And if not, uh, if they're traveling, we're on the phone. Uh, the same with our general counsel. So. Uh, you know, to me, it was you know you have to be agile and fluid in today's with today's speed at which you know product is moving to the marketplace, and and you know you you can't sit back and wait for some formalized meeting once a week to get your work done. You can't move fast. Yeah, you just you just can't get it done, right? That's actually no. I'd like when we come back from the commercial break, I want to talk about that a little bit more about how you got it done so fast. Cause I think a lot of people are sitting there going, "Holy smokes." So when we come back from the commercial break, we'll pick up right there. If you're looking to learn more about ideas, creativity, and innovation, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., you can send an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com. And uh, when, we, when we come back, we're going to pick up right where we left off, talking about really what were those key elements, such as partnering to be able to get this work done. Stay right there. We'll be right back after we pay a few more bills. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations.
Biz Talk Radio. is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. Uh, Michael, I want to pick up where we left off. Um, In the last segment, you were talking about what were some of the things that allowed you to be successful. And I kind of wrote my notes here. I was scribbling down as fast as I could. But you talked about team and the fact that you had kind of this little shorthand. You had key partners inside your organization, such as your CFO, the the general counsel, your close alignment with the CEO on a a real-time basis, not a once a week, you know, kind of statusing. Right at the end of the, before we took the break, you talked about not being done by committee and the ability just to just to have an organization that moves fast. Did I get those right? Am I missing anyone? If you had to kind of coach a CMO who's looking to 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 do what Flex did as far as innovating the brand, when you think about not so much the actual process of defining the brand, but all the all that support that you need behind you. Is there, is there something missing there, or did I get it all? Well, one, you can't do it alone, and I think you captured that. I'll even take a step back. I think before, uh, first, certainly you have to have a team. Uh, and in today's climate, uh, where uh, you know velocity and speed matter, uh, and time to market is critical uh, for competitive advantage, I think you know uh, team and shorthand become important. Uh, and having an agile environment, work environment becomes important where uh, you can get decisions immediately. Uh, it's not like you're waiting for a once-a-week team or staff meeting or a once-a-month sort of uh, uh, executive meeting. Um, uh, that is, to me, a, a 20th century antiquated model, um, and I think today you have to act much more like a disruptive startup uh, and you have to build agility and speed uh, into the management of the company. And I think uh, we've done that incredibly well here at Flex. Uh, what I will say once you have that is you have to have shared purpose. And when you have shared purpose, and what I mean by that is a shared vision for the company, a shared mission for the company, and, and you share and understand the brand promise and the value proposition uh, becomes incredibly important because that allows you to have shorthand. Um, and and that shorthand will drive the speed. Um, and so for us, it was, you know, because we're B2B, you know, and as you know, Phil, a lot of B2B companies sort of talk to their customers uh, as if they're, uh, I'll use a Disney term, audio animatronic figures, and, and they believe they have to speak a different language when they're talking to this person because it's business to business. And, and I've always argued that there's IQ and EQ in every transaction and that, you want to talk to your customers the way uh, um, you would talk to them in the marketplace. Um, and, and to me, that became important. So as you think about your shared values as a company, uh, you want it to resonate both EQ and IQ. So for us, we, we went out and said, what is the vision of this company? Uh, what is Flex uh, attempting to do? And, and we landed on a simpler, richer life through technology. That's our vision. Uh, for the world. And then our mission was to create a smarter, more connected world. Why? This puts us in the wheelhouse 
strategically of going right at uh, the intelligence of things or what other people consider the Internet of Things. And, and it allows us all to share a vision of we're going to make life simpler and we're going to do this in a way that creates a smarter, more connected world. And, and then when you say, well, what is that brand promise then to your customers? You're in B2B. It's to be our customers' go-to-market partner by helping them sort of create, deliver smarter, more connected products that enrich everybody's life. And, and that's everybody. And just because somebody's B2B, B2C, or B2B2C in their business models, uh, it, pe- people uh, uh, have lives. <laughs> and so, so, you know, fundamentally, I think it was really us talking to our customers in a real way, uh, in one that they could connect emotionally to and say, I, I share that. I share that mission and vision with Flex. I understand what they're doing, and they're going to help me become more competitive by doing that. And so, yeah, in fact, I was going to pick up on that. I was going to pick up on that because when you said in the last segment that, you know, you've seen a a value creation six months after this, this brand messaging effort. And then when you think about it from this, you know, sketch to scale, you know, I see that as kind of the strategic story for flex that really captures the heart of innovators because that's what the whole, challenge for innovators out there is what they've got the great idea but who who's going to be that best partner for them to take that idea and make it real yeah and 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 we can spend a moment on that because you know innovation now you know everyone is 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 trying to become innovative and 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 most people you know a lot of them have opened up shops here in silicon valley or around the world uh to place some people to try to get in front of innovation but but it isn't just your people being in an environment. It's where you're sourcing it from. And, you know, I, I spoke earlier at the top of the show that, that you can't do this alone anymore. Uh, you're not going to have the speed, nor uh, are you going to probably have the capital as a company to deploy, to be everywhere and see everything to do this. And so you need partners. Um, yep. You know, we like to say it's it's about cultivating sort of innovation. And you can cultivate that from a number of places at, at Flex. We cultivate it from our Lab 9, which is our startup incubator, you know, from consortia, from investments we've made, suppliers, you know, we have, our own employees, um, the startups that we, that we uh, uh, have, have looked at, uh, research institutions and universities, and that's just a couple of where we actually look to what are these strategic roadmaps, what are the product development roadmaps now, five years from now, um, as we think about building centers of excellence around stacking these technologies so that they can actually enable a customer to perform uh, the way they want to with their products or services becomes important. And, and, and so I think you're going to have to be much more open to strategic partnerships, uh, and I think you're going to see a big focus on how IP sort of gets managed moving forward and who owns which pieces because it's going to be more collaborative. Well, and I think, yeah, it's exactly right. I think, you know, the, the pace of change that's got to happen, you know, now I split my time between Silicon Valley and now here in Boulder, Colorado. So I get a front row seat in the Boulder startup community. And it is, you know, we used, I used to always laugh, you know, I started in the Valley in the early 80s and it's, you know, someone stomped on the gas pedal and no one's let off the gas pedal. And you're just constantly in this acceleration. But the complexity of the technologies and complexities going into these new products is just, you know, mind-boggling. And your ability, look, Silicon Valley suffers from it. We suffered from it here in Colorado. 
is our ability to hire people with the expertise. You can't. You, you can't yeah. afford them, and you can't find right. them even if you could afford them. So you've got to find the partners who have aggregated up that capability and that expertise. Yeah, and I think, you know, there, there, there's two trends you're going to see happening, well, more than two, but these are major trends, and then there's a couple uh, of forces underneath these trends. You know, one is, and I'll just say, you know, the technology forces that are transforming business with free real-time information, right? You know, mobile, anywhere, anyone, uh, sort of always on, always connected, and this idea of massive computing power with unlimited scale with minimal cost with cloud computing, and, and, and then as you combine that with costs going down, Moore's Law, miniaturization and, and uh, computational power or processing power going up, uh, all of a sudden uh, startups or competitors can come from anywhere and industries will be redefined by this. But on top of that, you're going to see regionalization. Why? The growing, the, there's a growing middle class globally. 60% of it will happen over in Asia. With that, consumption goes up. With consumption going up, consumers can dictate mass customization or customization of products regionally. Um, and so you're just going to see these complexities uh, start to take place. And, and, and then you combine that with, well, I've got to get speed to market because uh, the innovation cycle is going to change or the product life cycle is getting shorter and someone's going to be competitively in, in front of me. And, and you say, you better have a partner uh, um, or yeah. partners. Um, and That's right. uh, that can help you figure this out because uh, if you don't, you're going to see a startup come and take position from you. You're going to see your complete industry redefined, and you're going to see competitors that weren't your competitors at, uh, before. I, I like to say that, you know, uh, Mark Fields, the CEO of Ford, said, I'm not in just the automotive industry anymore. I'm in the mobility business. Well, what does that mean? And how does that get exactly? Defined? And, yep. and, 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 and it's a challenge. It's, and it's a challenge for every. It's a challenge for everybody, right out there. As far as right. it really is about. It really is about defining your position in the minds of your customers. So as we wrap up here, Michael, if people want to follow what you're doing, how can they find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, one. Uh, go to flextronics.com, uh, and you'll see that change to flex. But right now we're flextronics.com. Um, and uh, you can reach me through that website, and you'll also see okay. all the uh, new things we're doing. Yeah. Great. Thank you. When we come back, I've got a killer question that's going to hack your brain. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, killer innovation. Get ready to exercise your creative muscles. So what is this week's killer question? What emotional, psychological, or status benefit could people derive from using my product? What emotional, psychological, or status benefit could people derive from using my product? 
Now, rather than using a tech product such as the iPhone, which we could argue qualifies in all those categories, I'm going to use a different example. Do you have a diamond stash away that you reckon you can sell if times get really tough? Say a family heirloom or an engagement ring from a uh, failed uh, proposal attempt. Perhaps you know how much that diamond was appraised for by the reseller, and you feel pretty confident you can get a reasonable return on your investment. If so, you're in for a disappointing surprise. In the late 1880s, a group of British financiers who invested heavily in South African diamond mines grew alarmed at the discovery of these vast new supplies of supposedly scarce gems. They realized that the value of their product, diamonds, was essentially the public's perception of them as both extremely rare and thus valuable and a sign of sophistication and affluence. This belief about what the diamond merchants were selling would be irreparably damaged if the world's markets were suddenly flooded with thousands, if not millions, of these gems. The financiers got together and they formed the De Beers Consortium and have managed to manipulate both the supply of diamonds and the public's perception of them ever since. In the late 1940s, they coined the phrase, a diamond is forever, and persuaded young couples everywhere that the purchase of one was an essential symbol of love and devotion. However, I will admit, I got out of that. I dodged the engagement ring, and that's a whole other story. In the late 50s, they responded to the glut of the tiny diamonds from the Soviet Union by creating the idea of and then marketing for what is called the Eternity Ring. The Eternity Ring was promoted as a gift for established couples to celebrate their ongoing commitment. And by the way, my wife did get her Eternity Ring at our 25th wedding anniversary. But rather than one large diamond, the ring was comprised of a string of tiny diamonds set in a band. But prior to the Eternity Ring, Customers were more interested in purchasing large diamonds, and De Beers was able to convince consumers that these small diamonds were equally desirable by creating the idea that the small diamonds represented the passing of the years. Smart. Even more cleverly, they realized that by marketing diamonds as both investments and emotional signifiers, customers would keep them rather than selling them down the line. You might part with grandma's bond portfolio, but you're far less likely to get rid of her ring in the hopes that your kids or your grandkids will actually use it as their engagement ring. Now, this sentiment keeps, hold, keeps untold billions of dollars of privately owned diamonds off the market, thereby keeping the price of new diamonds high. And it's a brilliant strategy. However, the actual value of diamonds is negligible. Recently, a friend took a loose diamond to a dealer. She had a vague plans for buying a twin for it and making earrings for her daughter. The dealer squinted at the stone for a moment and quoted her $7,000 for a diamond that would match. Now get that, $7,000. When she balked, he looked up at her and without even batting an eye, offered to buy her stone for $2,000. So hold it, I'll sell you the twin for seven, I'll buy yours for two. She politely declined. The diamond industry has expertly shepherded their customers into thinking and believing certain things about their product. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating this kind of strategic manipulation, but it's, it's interesting to look at how flexible and fluid De Beers is able to, to revise what their product actually is. Is it the scarcity of the diamonds, or is it the emotional attachment? And by doing this, they are able to reflect the realities of the existing marketplace and also create markets where there were none. Now, De Beers has answered this killer question most recently with the creation of what I, what's called the right-hand ring. It was unveiled in the early 2000s as the luxury goods market was near its apex. 
The right hand ring is, like most engagement rings, made of diamonds and set in platinum. However, unlike an engagement ring, it is made for a woman to buy for themselves as a symbol of, of emancipation, self-worth, success. I would have loved to have sat in the concept meeting for the right-hand ring. The diamond industry has been very clever in adjusting their products to both lead and respond to social changes, and I'm sure the right-hand ring is no different. The ring hit at the moment when the consumption of big-ticket luxury items felt like a statement of success and self-acceptance. It was a clever idea that subverted what buying a diamond ring traditionally means, like engagements or you know, 25th wedding anniversaries. And they turn it from a symbol of commitment and marriage into a declaration of independence, freedom, and success. The diamond industry has managed to create two products that are basically the same thing, yet fine-tune two completely different messages for them and thus create the different markets. At the same time, there's no public sense of contradiction between them, and thus they're able to, to add to a whole new audience without compromising their existing one. There's something pretty clever about the way the diamond industry has both manipulated existing markets while creating entirely new ones that didn't exist. Their products are imbued with both emotional value and the perception of real value. Owners feel that the diamonds convey a sense of wealth and prosperity, even though the stones are nearly always worth dramatically less than the owners believe. There's also larger questions about the way diamonds are obtained from third world. However, no one can deny that the market mine for De Beers has done a fantastic job. So how would you reply to your ideas and your product? Does your product create a connection with its consumer that goes beyond just being good solution to their needs? Can you refine it to reflect the changing needs and desires of your customer? Is the emotional connection literally between the customer and the product or between the customer and what the product signifies to them? And are you a good, are you good or interesting reasons to resist an emotional connection and actively prevent one from developing? So, Hopefully that gives you some thoughts on how to create that emotional tie-in. Uh, check out the show. Visit. We'll have the show notes with all the notes from our interview with Michael Mendenhall, but also the full text on the killer question. So visit KillerInnovations.com. Uh, don't miss out on other great shows. Go over to BizTalk Radio Network and vis visit BizTalkRadio.com. While you're there, you can grab the mobile app, and you can listen to Killer Innovations and all the other shows live. If you have an interesting story, that's out there. You think an innovator that would make a great guest, drop me a note at phil at killerinnovations.com. If you're interested in staying connected, text the word innovate to 33444. Or if you're outside the U.S., just drop me a note at innovate at killerinnovations.com. Today's show is being engineered by Brandon and Jeremiah. They, uh, it takes two of them now to keep me on track and not, lose, not to uh, lose track of myself. Um, I'm Phil McKinney. Don't let your innovation critics get you down. Keep your chin up. Have passion for your idea. Push forward. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. on biz talk radio are those of the hosts callers and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of this station biz talk radio its management or advertisers the information on biz talk radio does not constitute a recommendation offer or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service if you have any questions about biz talk radio contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. biz talk radio 